fix my car When I buy gas, don't get me very far My baby needs some milk to drink And mama wants her wine I get a check each week But I don't know what's mine I'm losing track I don't know what to do I got the budgeting blues Welcome back, budgeters, to another episode of Sensible Chat, the podcast committed to helping you learn positive money mindsets, destroy debt, reduce financial stress, and break the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle. Our guest professor today is Justine Chan, founder of LiveWithPlum.com, the modern woman's guide to home buying. She'll discuss the pre-home buying process, from mistakes to avoid to tips for saving money and stress. After class, Sensible Bobby shares budgeting tips for buying your home. So now, without further ado, here is the maven of money, the sensei of savings, the budget queen. It is Sensible Bobby. Thanks, Scott. It's amazing how you make me feel like royalty. And thank you for joining me for another episode of Sensible Chat. When you think of buying your first home, how does it feel? For me, overwhelming just about sums it up. The thought of owning a home is exciting, but the financial responsibilities that go with it are many, and the price tag can be hard to pin down. And it's not just the price of the home, it's all the other things you have to pay for during the home buying process, not to mention you're financially responsible for all the repairs once you own the home. And we haven't even gotten to the paperwork or choosing a realtor. These thoughts made me completely shut out the idea of home buying for a long time because I just didn't want to deal with it. And I spent most of my life thinking I'd always be too poor to own my own home, so why even entertain the idea? But there's a lot to be said for home ownership. There are great financial benefits, right alongside all the financial responsibilities. There are a lot of pros and cons that need to be considered before you make the decision that's right for you. And I personally believe there is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to buying a home. You've probably heard a ton of personal finance experts say that if you're renting, you're throwing money away and making someone else rich. I remember years ago when the common statement was, you can get a mortgage payment for less than your rent, so why wouldn't you buy? This stuff makes me cringe because it's said in a very general fashion without knowing everyone's personal situation. I mean, let's be real. You're never throwing money away when it's used to keep a roof over your head. True, you're not building equity, but you're also not financially responsible when the pipes burst or you need a new roof. And in order to get a mortgage payment that's less than the rent, you'll need to have a big pile of cash for the down payment. So if you're not financially ready to buy a home, the smartest decision, at least in the short term, might be to rent. Having said that, if it's your dream to own a home, go for it. Make a plan, work the plan, and buy your home. But if you jump in without being prepared, you could wind up in a big financial mess, which can bring endless stress and impact many different areas of your life. That's not a dream. That's a nightmare. So how can you make your dream of home ownership come true in a way that brings you joy and fulfillment? Our guest has some great tips on how to do just that. Okay, class, find a desk and grab a seat because Sensible University is now in session. Today's guest professor is Justine Chan, founder of LiveWithPlum.com, the modern woman's guide to home buying. At 25, she bought her first home after muddling through a process she saw as utterly confusing and convoluted. Five years, four homes, and a real estate license later, 
Justine is using her knowledge and experience to help other women achieve their dreams of home ownership. Justine, thanks so much for being our guest professor today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So tell me about the journey that took you from deciding to buy your first home to starting your company, Live With Plum. Yeah, so I bought my first home in 2014. So that is six years ago. And, you know, for me, to be honest, I always knew that I was going to own real estate. Fortunately, when I was growing up, it was something that I saw my parents do. So I really feel like it was, in a way, a relatively subconscious decision to not just invest in like equities and the stock market, but to also invest in real estate and something very tangible. It was something that was just kind of drilled into me as a child. So after I bought my first property in 2014, it was both a painful and a painless experience at the same time. And I think many people who buy their first property will attest to this, but you just feel so lost. And it's really weird to have that feeling because for many people, it's going to be the biggest purchase of your life, right? Buying a home that you stay in. It's not just a financial decision. It's also such an emotional decision, but yet you receive almost no education about it, regardless of how much education you have. And so for me, in 2014, I bought my first place and I continued that journey to move from homeowner to then landlord slash investor. And last year in 2019, after doing it for a couple of years and having many friends and family come up to ask me all these questions, just realized that, hey, there has to be a better way. There has to be a resource online that not just has information about it, but has accessible information and a community that helps you feel supported if you do want to become a homeowner or a real estate investor. And I was particularly interested in having information that was accessible for women because that's a cause that's very near and dear to my heart is to help women bridge the wealth gap and gain more gender parity. Thank you so much for doing that because, yeah, it is such an important resource. I mean, you you do. You completely feel lost when you're buying your first home. So what's the biggest thing that you learned from buying your first home? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, a couple of ways to answer that question. For me personally, I I still make mistakes all the time. For me, like it's always going to be a continuous learning journey because every time I do it, I learn something new or I'm in a new personal circumstance. So, for example, one mistake that not just me, but everyone typically makes is not understanding how the mortgage process works and how mortgage bankers look at you as an applicant. So a good example is, and this is very typical nowadays, right? Many people change jobs relatively often. Many people also go from full-time W-2 positions then to self-employment, you know, back and forth, right? Like the notion of employment is getting very fluid. However, mortgage bankers look at a W-2 position and self-employment slash setting up your own business very differently. If you have a W-2 position, you know, they consider you as very stable and therefore much lower risk and are much more inclined to give you a mortgage, you know, given that you have a good credit score versus if you are self-employed, typically they require at least two years 
of tax income. So if you are thinking of going to self-employment, for example, and you want to buy a house at the same time, most people don't know all these different requirements. So I would say the mistake that I continuously see people make is just not having a full understanding of the process and therefore not planning early enough. And most people only start planning for their home in 12 months, for example. But then if you are thinking of going to self-employment, you know, that's like a two-year implication. That means your ability to purchase a home potentially moves out by two years. And so not having a full understanding of all the different nitty-gritty details throws most people off course in their plans. Yeah, you know, one of the things that always seems detrimental is that we get excited about something, whatever it is, and just want to jump right in without having all the facts. And certainly in a big decision like this, it's really important to take a step back and take the time that's needed to plan properly. So your website has done that in a really great way because you've broken down the three phases of home buying. There's pre-home buying, home buying, and post-home buying. And I want to focus on phase one, which is pre-home buying, because it seems like these are the things that often get overlooked. And it's broken down into seven steps. The first is to monitor and improve your credit score. And of course, most people are aware that the better your credit score, the better your interest rate. But on your website, you state that it also determines your range of mortgage options, which you were touched on a minute ago. So tell me a little bit more about what that means. What kind of mortgage options do you have besides 15 or 30 year? That's definitely one, like the length of mortgage options. The other very common one is a fixed versus an adjustable rate. But really what I meant by range of mortgage option, I mean, many mortgages have a minimum rate. And actually, that has been increasing in today's world of, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic. Many banks are even more hesitant to give out mortgages and have increased the credit limit. So that's really what I meant by having a continuous eye on your credit score is really important because if you have a score that's too low, you just wouldn't qualify for certain mortgages even. And then after that, which is what you mentioned, is what different kinds of mortgages are there? I've seen people, for example, just go for the lowest rate. So they go for like the 15-year adjustable, not understanding what an adjustable rate mortgage is and not understanding the difference between a 15 versus a 30-year, right? Like a 15-year mortgage means that you're making a higher monthly payment that impacts your debt-to-income ratio, that impacts your ability to take on debt for whatever reason down the line. And so all these things that I don't see most people consider when they go and get a mortgage. Something that really seems to be a big mistake that we make in life in general is a lot of times just looking at one piece of the puzzle. Let's say the monthly rate, because a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, my monthly mortgage payment is going to be less if I have a 30-year loan. And that's true. But if you can afford a 15-year loan, you know, the mortgage on that, it's going to be a lower interest rate. So you're going to save money in the long term. But there's all these factors and they have to be looked at as a whole, not just one piece of the puzzle. I think that's what really screws a lot of people up. Is that what you found? Absolutely. And it's just understanding what you're looking for on a personal level, right? I think sometimes I see advice out there that says, always go for this or always go for that. But it's a little bit too general for me or it's applied to broadly, right? Like I think everyone needs to just consider what's their priority, what are their financial goals, and then choose the right tool as well as the right option for them. 
Yeah, that leads right into step two, because like you said, everybody's different. Everybody's looking for different things and they have different priorities. And step two is identifying the criteria for your purchase, like the size, location and amenities that you're looking for in a home. And this sounds like a big time saver when you're actually shopping for a home because you've already figured out what you're looking for. Is that kind of the point? Yeah, and it's also understanding how much to budget for. Yeah. Right? Because you're probably in the phase where you're trying to figure out how much money to save up. And if you don't have a good understanding of what you're looking for, or if you don't have a good understanding of what you're looking for is going to cost, then you are kind of going in blind as to how much you then need to save. So I think identifying criteria up front is important. So you can at least have a sense of how much it's going to cost you and then have a sense of how much you're going to have to save up. Yep. And that goes right into step three, which is doing the math. And I love that because my tagline for this podcast is do the math, live the life. So let's talk about how much heartache is saved by doing the math and understanding really what you can afford before you purchase. Maybe a better way of asking it is what can happen if you don't plan ahead and know what you can purchase before you jump in? It really just pushes back your timeline or I think many people, once again, just not having a full understanding of the picture, the piece that many people get stuck on is just the down payment, right? But then there's just one piece of calculating what you budget because the other things that you also have to consider is how much it costs to close on a property. And that typically is also a couple of percentage points, unless you get a mortgage that allows you to roll everything in. But that typically is a couple of percentage points, uh, which, you know, can add up to a significant amount of money. And, you know, it even includes things like moving, if you're going to pay for movers, things like saving up if you want to do any repairs to the apartment before you move in. All of that costs money and it usually costs more than someone expects. And then the second thing to think about when it comes to what you can afford is when people think of what the ongoing cost of ownership is going to be, people typically think, okay, this is what my mortgage is going to cost. And then this is what the tax is going to be. But what I often don't see people do is put aside some money for unexpected repairs that you have to make. Put aside money for ongoing maintenance to the property, paying for insurance, just ensuring that you have, again, the full picture of what a property is going to cost you on a monthly basis so that you can budget appropriately and know how much you can afford to spend and therefore what kind of property you can afford to buy at this moment. I think that is so important because so many times you hear people say, you know, if you're renting versus buying, you're just throwing money down the drain. And I get that from, you know, a standpoint of building up equity over time. But, you know, there was a time when they were saying, oh, everybody should buy a home because the mortgage is less than the rent payment. And that might have been true. But I remember thinking, wow, I guess I really am throwing money down the drain. And then thinking about the fact that, yeah, there is way more to paying for a home than just the mortgage payment. You know, as a renter, you can just call your landlord when something breaks. As a homeowner, you're responsible for everything. And so there's so much more that goes into the home than just the monthly mortgage payment. It's so, so very important to do the math and figure out what you can afford before you buy. Is there a checklist out there that kind of goes over all this stuff so that we can feel at least more calm that we've covered all our bases before answering that can I afford it question? 
Yeah, so there are two things you should do. One, I have all of this information on my website. So go to liftwithplum.com and you can either search what can you afford. You know, I really break it down into the different components that you should be thinking of. The second thing that you can do is to speak to a mortgage broker because they will also walk you through, or a mortgage banker, they'll walk you through the process of calculating what you qualify for. That doesn't mean it's what you personally feel comfortable to pay on a monthly basis, but it will at least walk you through the thought process and then together that information that you see on my website or anything else that you find online, you should be able to arrive at you know an amount to start with. I'm going to jump directly to step five, because like I said, you've got seven steps in there. But of course, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to cover them all here. And step five is saving for a down payment. And I think this one's really important because I would imagine it's much easier to do this after you've identified the criteria for your home and all the other costs you need to save for. But this is often the most frustrating part for people because it can feel like forever until they can save that down payment, especially with savings accounts being close to zero percent interest right now. So do you have any suggestions for how we can save faster or grow our money faster for a down payment? So what I walk through in this section, I think saving is such a personal journey, right? I am never that person that says that you have to save X amount or that, you know, you have to give up every single luxury. I I really feel that calculation is so personal and it's up to you to decide what you feel comfortable with in your life right now. But what I want people to consider when it comes to saving is the notion of how risky slash risk-free your down payment saving should be, right? Because if you're saving for a longer term goal, like let's say you are 30 and you're saving for retirement in another 30 years or another 40 years, that mindset is very different from if you're saving for a shorter term goal, you're 30 and you're saving, for example, to purchase a house in two years, right? Like you really have to think through, I need the money in two years, how risky an asset should I put my money in? And that's the thought process that I walk through on my website, that if it's a shorter term goal and the close the date of you going out to search for a property or you going out to close on your property, the more risk-free your money should be. So it can be in, for example, either a CD or it can be in a high-use savings. But if you are buying a home in the longer term, you know, you're buying a home only in like three years or if you have a higher risk preference and you're buying a home out in a year and a half, then you can even consider doing a certain percentage in an equity account, right? To really try and capitalize on the higher potential returns in the stock market and then a percentage in a more risk-free asset like high-use savings and then slowly moving more and more of your money into the high-use savings over time. So that's just the thought process. But at the end of the day, personal finance is really personal and risk preferences are also very personal. But I just think that's something that you know I want people who are going through this process to think about. Step six is one that I found very interesting. Find an agent or go without. And I got to tell you, after reading everything before that, I was kind of thinking, man, there's there's so much to know. How could I possibly go without an agent? So first of all, let's talk about why it would make sense at any point to do it without an agent. 
It's just personal preference. I don't recommend most first-time home buyers to do without an agent. Like you mentioned, the process is, and it, it really varies by state. Different states do it differently. In some states, you require a lawyer. In some states, you don't require a lawyer. And so in states where you have to have a lawyer, you know, the lawyer also plays part of advising you. But generally, it's a pretty complicated process. And generally, it's also the largest purchase of your life. So I don't recommend most first-time home buyers to do without an agent. That said, it's an option, right? And so while I don't recommend it, I think it's important to call out that it's an option and it's available. So step seven is getting pre-approval. This is another thing that you state is not required, but recommended. So let's talk about though why it is a good idea to get pre-approval. There are many reasons. Actually, some real estate agents wouldn't even work if, you, if you're not pre-approved. Getting a pre-approval is most of the time necessary to put in an offer. So if you don't have a pre-approval, the agent doesn't know if you're qualified to even purchase the place or not. And so as a buyer, you're leaving the agent in a really difficult position of not knowing if they're going to spend time with you and it's going like, to lead down the path to nothing because you're an unqualified buyer. And many buyers don't know how much they're qualified to buy. And so the pre-approval just helps everyone get on the same page about what the buyer can afford. You know, like I mentioned, many buyers just don't do their research and so they don't even know (laughs) how much they can afford. Many times they're shooting above their price range and then it's kind of just a waste of everyone's time. If the buyer doesn't even bother to speak to a banker and get their finances in order, I think that's really, really important for everyone to get in order before they start their search. But that's one reason why a pre-approval is usually good. It signals to everyone, including the sellers. It signals to the agent that, you know, this buyer is serious and this buyer is qualified and they're actually interested in going out to make a purchase. And also, especially in today's world of COVID-19, right, where there's a higher level of risk of having someone in your house. And so many sellers justifiably may not want a buyer to come in unless they're proven to be a qualified buyer. Sure. And so getting approval, once again, it just puts everyone on the same page about the ability and the interest of this buyer to be able to make an offer. So from the standpoint of the professionals that are working with you, it's going to be a lot easier to get people to work with you if you have the pre-approval. But I would also think that for the sake of the home buyer sanity, I mean, why would you want to go out there and look at all these places that you love and start dreaming about your perfect home, but then find out it's nowhere in your price range after you've gone through all this? So like you said, yeah, it completely sounds like a a complete waste of everybody's time and it could cause you a lot of heartache. For the buyer, you should at least start the process. A pre-approval also typically takes at least two weeks to go through because, you know, they have to to get your employment documents, your income documents, and then the bank has to vet through all of that before they come back to you with an amount. So if you go out and you see a house that you really like and you don't have a pre-approval, you can't even make an offer. So it just causes heartache all around for everyone. That said, though, once again, it's not mandatory, but it's highly recommended. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to save a lot of time. So just in the pre-home buying process, what kind of time frame would you say? I think you mentioned maybe like two years for that process, right? It, it depends. You know, some people are already qualified buyers from the get-go. 
So it really, it's so personal. It depends on what situation you're in. But for me, what I generally tell everyone is I would love for people to think of home buying the way they think about retirement as long as they're interested in buying a home. I never want to go out there and say that buying a home is necessary for everyone. But if you have affinity for it, you know, you, you want to do it at some point in your life. I just think the education aspect of it should be started as early as possible. I totally agree. And if we could start thinking about this right from the start, right from our first job, I think it would save a lot of us a a lot of heartache and especially educating yourself on this, because I think there's so many people who have just wasted and lost so much money just from the home ownership all around just because of the things that they didn't know. And imagine how much they could have saved if they had had great advice, like what's coming from you. So that absolutely, and also things like your credit score is, you know, it's not just for home buying, right? Like it helps you with any other loan that you're taking. It helps you with even your rental situation. So there's some parts of what we're talking about where it's not just applicable to home buying, but it helps you with many other aspects of your life. That's for sure. Your credit score is going to be important whether you like it or not in a lot of cases. So so we've made it through the pre-buying phase, but we still have two phases left and certainly not enough time to cover everything here. But those other two phases are just as important. So where can people go to learn about those other two phases and get in touch with you? They can find me at our website on livewithplum.com. And we also have a YouTube channel. Just search for Live With Plum and an Instagram at Live With Plum. And you are in New York City or started in New York City. Is that right? Correct. So we are based in New York City, but our information is applicable across the board, anywhere in the U.S., Justine, thank you so much. I really appreciate all of your time today and sharing the pre-home buying process. Uh, I think this is really important, especially from the standpoint that we can budget to get there on a plan and not jump in and have buyer's remorse after the fact, because certainly this is too big of a purchase, way too important to uh, jump into it blindly like that. So I really appreciate all the information. And once again, you have the other two phases left, which are home home buying and post-home buying, hugely important. So I invite everybody to go to the website, livewithplum.com and check out all the information you have to offer. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. A great big sensible thank you to our guest professor, Justine Chan, founder of livewithplum.com. Visit her website to learn more about the three phases of home buying. We barely scratched the surface. I really wanted to focus on the pre-home buying phase because planning can save so much time, money, and heartache. Justine's website has a ton of great info on the home buying and post-home buying phases as well, and they're super important. So go to livewithplum.com for all the info. If you're ready to begin the buying process, it's an exciting time. If it's important to you, you're motivated to do whatever needs to be done, right? Yes, it's going to be overwhelming and confusing at times, but you know that when it's all over, you're going to own your own home. What an accomplishment. So let's talk about how budgeting can help you get there. First, you need to decide if this is your number one goal or if there are other goals you need to focus on first that will help you get there faster in the long run. For instance, if you have debt, Paying off that debt first will free up more money you can put toward your home. If you decide to focus on paying off debt first, you need to set up your budget to make that your number one focus. 
If you're ready to make saving for a home your number one goal, set up your budget accordingly. This means creating your financial picture, which is a list of your income and expenses, so you can see how much discretionary money you're working with. This will tell you how much you can save for your home each month. If you're not happy with the amount available, look through your expenses and see where you can cut back to save more. Think of it as a scavenger hunt to find as much money as possible for what you really want. For example, how much do you want to spend on entertainment in the short run versus saving for your home? I'm certainly not saying cut out every penny from your discretionary budget and never leave your current home again, but really think through your priorities. Balance is good. You don't need to deprive yourself of everything, but you want to be mindful of how you're spending and really consider what's in your best interest. You decide for yourself. It's going to be different for everyone, and that's perfectly acceptable. One thing that can really help with this is establishing how much you want to spend on your home and how that impacts the other costs involved. For example, a lower down payment will mean a higher monthly mortgage. Once you establish your costs and know how much you can save each month, do the math to figure out how long it will take to save what you need. If you don't like what you see, play with the numbers and see how much time you could shave off if you saved more. Then decide if the trade-off is worth it. Once you've decided how your discretionary money should be split, you're ready to create your spending plan. This is just a simple list of what you'll pay with each paycheck, down to the last penny. This way, you know all the bills are being paid, all your essentials are being covered, like groceries and gas, and the rest is being split between savings and discretionary categories. I highly encourage you to round up for any bill that varies and round down for any income that varies. This will prevent a higher-than-expected bill and lower-than-expected income. Don't average. Round up or down. I use my highest payment and my lowest income over the last 12 months as a guide, and it's worked very well. Now, set up your budget on paper, spreadsheet, YNAB, whatever you prefer. This is going to list all your categories, including bills, groceries, savings, all of it. Once your categories are set up, budget the money that's in your account today, right down to the penny. Remember, your spending plan is how you plan to spend the money that's coming. But your budget is the reality of the money you have today and how it needs to be spent. And you need to do this before your next paycheck because knowing how much money you have in each category today impacts how much you decide to budget into that category on payday. For instance, if you have all you need in your grocery category before payday, you wouldn't necessarily budget more into that category right away. And this would give you extra money to put somewhere else, like savings. Now here's where the scavenger hunt continues and why I love paying bills. Every time I pay a bill, I get to find out if I came in under budget. I usually do because I budget high. Every time I come in under budget, that's extra money I can put towards my number one goal. If you do this, you'll often find extra money you can put towards saving for a home. Just remember to move that money into savings right away so you don't use it for something else. Once your budget is set up and your spending plan is ready and waiting for new money, remember to consistently monitor and track your spending. If you don't, the work you did to set everything up will be in vain. Monitoring means checking your budget before you spend to make sure money is available for that purchase. 
This is different from checking your bank account to see if you have money. The bank can tell you that you have money, but only your budget can tell you if you have money available in any given category. After you purchase, don't forget to track your spending. This will keep your budget accurate so you can safely monitor your budget the next time you need to spend. This process will keep you on track with your goals and keep your timeline for buying a home intact. If you want a refresher, check out my blog post, The Five-Step Budgeting Process, at sensiblechat.com. And if you want to give YNAB a try, I have a referral link on the resources page at sensiblechat.com. You'll get a 34-day free trial, and if you subscribe afterward, you'll get another free month, and I'll get a free month. Saving for a home can be a long process, so instead of focusing on how long it might take to get there, use this time to dream and plan. Really think about what's important to you in terms of the home you'll buy and the price tag that comes with it. This could change your timeline for saving and will also give you a solid plan for what you're going to buy when you're ready. You know your finances better than anyone else, so don't ever let anyone pressure you into paying more than you can afford. Planning ahead and knowing your costs will save you time, money, and heartache, and it puts you in the driver's seat when it comes time to buy. You'll be confident about what you want and don't want and what you're willing to pay. Good luck, and keep in mind that the planning and patience you practice now will pay huge dividends later. If you need help creating a budget to save for your home, reach out to me. I'd love to help. Remember, budgeting is not hard. It's just math. Changing your mindset is the challenge. But if you're ready to take control of your financial life, you might find it a bit easier to change your mindset and reach your financial goals faster. So until next time, remember, do the math, live the life. That does it for this episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. Links for all the resources mentioned can be found in the show notes for this episode at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. While you're there, find your favorite app to be sure and never miss a show. On social media, look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to Sensible Bobby through the contact page at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. Thank you.